Live from the Battleborne Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Why is this happening? Why does the rest of the league shun Cam Newton? It makes me look young. Also, it makes you look at my wonderful hair. I'm going to flaunt my hair when I got it, you know? Ah, it's crazy today. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Yeah, usually I scream on Fridays, but uh, watching uh, my school play in the Big Ten tournament has not been an easy trip so far. Illinois is very good. Illinois really is uh, upside uh, one of those teams out there that can win the national championship, and they had a, an amazing first half. And uh, the game's been a bit chippy, John, as we're checking out what's going on here in the Big Ten quarterfinals. Your boy uh, Harper Jr. just got a foul call, so that's good. He, he actually he earned, he earned one. Yes, he did. Okay, good. It has felt a bit one-sided, but, you know, I'm a fan, so – I can't see things objectively. Uh, yeah, Rutgers got called for a, uh, I guess, an unsportsmanlike, I don't know what you would even call it, attack yeah, yeah. on a guy named Paul Mulcahy because he scored and he screamed. And it's been a pretty chippy game, both sides uh, doing a lot of chatter. So uh, that was good for one free throw. So we'll see if uh, that makes a difference in wow. any covers or in-game bets later in the season. But right now, Illinois cruising uh, easily on their way into the semifinals, it's all over. They're up 13 with 13 minutes left. Not so fast, my friend. I'm trying the jinx. Koken was just on. Koken is the master of the reverse jinx. The reverse mush. Yes, I'm trying it. I'm trying it here. Uh, we also, what do we got on the Big East game? Because uh, Seton Hall is one of those teams that could really screw things up for the teams right on the edge of the bubble. Seton Hall got a break by having to play or getting to play Georgetown instead of Villanova. In the Big East tournament. Now, you should beat Georgetown. If they don't beat Georgetown, then they're not going to be getting into the NCAA field. It was uh, it was 57-55 just a, I got it. a minute ago. What do we got now? 63-58 Georgetown on top. Make that 64-58 Georgetown on top with 19 seconds left to go. I'm telling you, by Sunday, by the numbers, the Mountain West Conference actually still does have a shot to get four teams in. Go look at four. bracketology. Well, go yeah. look at bracketology. But Nevada would be the last one, correct? No. No? No, the teams that were right on uh, – before yesterday, you had, uh, you had Boise and Colorado State in as the last four. Mm-hmm. First four out, Utah State was on top of that list. So Boise loses. That means they're, gonna, they're out, but now they're you know, last four out. There is a way for Boise to sneak back in, but they've got you know, to get some luck with Seton Hall getting out of the Big East tournament. Ole Miss can't go any further in the SEC. And uh, there was one other situation – um, let me check. Uh, can I punch it up quickly in the American? What's going on in the American? Yeah. Memphis is still alive as one of the teams on the, you know, on the outside looking in. So if Memphis can make a run here, Memphis could force out one of the mountain West conference teams. But I, I think the mountain West conference is in pretty solid position to get three in. And you're right. Then Reno is the wild card, right? Which is weird. Um, Boise got hurt a lot by the Reno loss yesterday, right? Reno beat them. Uh, I didn't realize Reno was so low in the net rankings. They're like 95. They're a pretty good team. Yeah. Well, I think so. It's relatively solid defensively. Like, they're a very well-balanced team. Lonardi doesn't even have them listed. 
The oh, bubble. no, they're, they're, yeah. not a, they're not in the bubble because their net is 95. But um, as the fifth team in the conference, they're a pretty good team. And yeah. when you've got guards in Sherfield and Cambridge who yesterday combined for 57, that's a dangerous team to San Diego State. If San Diego State goes into one of those lulls, Mitchell didn't play well yesterday. So, you know, I don't like to say it around Vegas, and I know we have a lot of Reno alums here, but uh, that's another one of those situations for UNLV where you're looking around and you're like, wait, Alford, I think, wanted the UNLV job, didn't get a sniff. He goes up to Reno, and now in year two, he may be able to upset the apple cart and make the freaking tournament. That's a nightmare. Big five time. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. So Patrick Ewing is still coaching. He's at Georgetown. They didn't have a great season, but we mentioned they pulled off the upset yesterday against Villanova. You figure, hey, man, he's going to be bouncing off the wall singing Friday, Friday, we get to play, right? He's going to be all fired up. Um, But did he have some issues? Oh, no. Was it MSG Security? Again, I hope they didn't go all like Charles Oakley on him. What did Ewing say after the game? Fire it. Um, but I do want to say one thing, though. They, I, I thought this was my building, and I feel terrible that I'm getting stopped, accosted, asking for passes. I, everybody in this building should know who the hell I am. And I'm getting stopped. I can't move around this building. Like I, I, I was like, what the hell? Is this Madison Square Garden? I'm going to have to call Mr. Dolan and say, geez, is my number in the rafters or what? Ari? You grew up in the area, not really, uh, but you know around Philly. You know Big East basketball better than anyone else on the show. When you saw this and you heard this, you know who Patrick Ewing is. I mean, this is outrageous. Damn straight, right? It is. It is to me not and not like that serious, like uh, the whole you know who I am thing. But yeah, I mean that is like I don't know who else you think about when you think about New York sports, and that's of course that is that time era. So you know some younger folk might not agree with me. But uh, what are the eighteen-year-old security guards? Relax. Here, here's it. By, by the way, here's the other thing. Before, because I knew where John was going to go with this. I knew where he was going to go with this. He's seven foot tall. Oh, it's so, not like so you, you know who he. If so tall, you want to just throw the blanket? You just want to stereotype? Ah, oh, seven foot guy, huh? He's got to play basketball. We just got to assume, huh? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. At a basketball tournament, Very assume the seven-foot guy probably played basketball, and maybe there's even a chance he's one of the legendary Knicks. Know who he is, please. Assume he's a Nick? So assume that every seven-footer at Madison Square Garden is just a legendary Knickerbocker of the past? That's ridiculous. Every security guard in that building should have to take a test. If you don't know who Patrick Ewing is, you don't know Nick's history, you can't get a job there. James Dolan probably doesn't even know half the Hall of Fame well, that, that, By the way, that was the scary part. Patrick goes, I got to call James. I don't call James. Right. We already saw what he did to Oakley. He had him dragged out by his freaking security thugs. He may hang up the phone on you, Patrick. Bro, by the way, let's relax. All right. They're doing their job. They're trying to make sure everything's in order. There's like, there's literally, what, 300 people in the building. How about you focus on not going 11 and 12? How about that? How about he's focused? They're they're about to make the freaking finals <laughs> of the biggest. He's still he's still alive. That's the other. You know, I was mentioning what? Seton Hall could screw everything up oh, by I bursting you meant, the bubble. No, I mean I you, thought you meant Ewing was still. Well, alive. That, yeah, like, actually, that was an accomplishment. Like, well, look, he's still here. He actually, you know, it's funny. He was one of the first really high profile people to come down with COVID. Like he had it yeah. in, in freaking April. That's a good point. Ewing. I was not a Knicks fan, but I always loved Patrick Ewing. Uh, didn't love him so much at Georgetown. He was kind of a villain there, but he was. He was that second, you know, class of superstars during his era, and he could never get over the top, and there were just too many sad moments. And now he's not even recognized, as he said, in his own building of Madison Square Garden. Next up. 
number four. John, where is T.J. Otzelberger, the UNLV coach, coaching in two weeks? UNLV. It's not a slight. I agree with you, but it ain't 100%. Right. And it depends. Well, keep going. I'll let you I'll let you go on this because I asked you a question. So well, why, why UNLV and not Iowa State? Iowa State, the job could open. Steve Prom is there. Steve Prom apparently is going to meet with the AD next week. I have a feeling if he goes, it could happen earlier. So the job's not open. If the job's open, Otts will be on their list. He will. I, I feel like, and I'm just going by my own parameters, right, as – like what I would look at in terms of hiring a head coach. I think, and you and I have talked about this before, it was the theme of the season last year. I thought if you looked at last year, like as a whole picture, he did a very, very good job with the development of the team and how much they got better down the stretch. This year, a little bit more uneven, right? They had some really solid results. They also had some really low lows. But I just feel like if I am hiring a guy at my program after he has gone from you know one to the next, I feel like I want to see some like eye-popping finish something that would make me think that he could develop my program and bring it forward, and there haven't really been forward take, like steps taken forward with this UNLV program. They've been kind of lateral. They haven't really taken a step back, but they haven't also improved over the last two years. You read my mind, because I do believe on the list will be Craig Smith at Utah State right, and Nico Medved at Colorado State. Like if, they, if they both get in, you know what March Madness does for coaches. Like how if you make a run, if you're a Colorado State or Utah State, you know, they should be relatively known, but they're not. So we've got all these casuals involved on the NCAA tournament. They make it to the second weekend. You know what that does in terms of their int- you know, interest from others? Of course. And grabbing them. So if Craig Smith makes a run, and I think they can, um, I think Craig Smith would be a guy who should be, and I think he will be on the Iowa State list, and he'd be a good hire. Right. I mean, look, it's, we know that Eric Musselman was a great coach when he was here. Got on the radar when they were winning games at the NCAA tournament. Yep. Even though I was sitting there, you remember my obsession with them when they were winning like the CBI that year with Cam Oliver. Like they were a really good team, but he did not get on the roster and he didn't get on the you know on the list until he started winning games in March. And I do want to mention again, you know where you know programs are and how things move along. You know things can change for good and bad. We're watching Illinois, you know, work their way to be a number one seed. And, you know, I was sitting there, and I know people watched that game a couple of years ago. Marvin Menzies, at the beginning of the 2018 season, had a young team, you know, in many ways, led by Shakur Justin, some guys dancing and distracting us <laughs> at the Big East tournament. But um, UNLV went to Illinois after having, a beat, uh, having beaten uh, the year before. But uh, UNLV went to Illinois and fell down early had five straight baskets down the stretch and had a chance to tie or win the game in the final seconds, and they couldn't get a shot off. Amari Hardy kind of got enveloped by some defenders at the three-point line, and that's how quickly things can change in the world of college basketball. It's freaking crazy. Coach Brad, Adam's favorite, has done a hell of a job building up uh, the Illini program. Top three stories. Number three. I've seen a lot of reaction on Cam Newton staying with the Patriots. Like, what the hell? What are they doing at quarterback? I'll go with this angle. Uh, if Cam gets to play, and if you don't know, you know Cam Newton is re-signed with the Patriots, another one-year deal. If Cam Newton actually gets to play and has some talent around him, I think he can achieve, and he actually gets to make some money this time around. So that was sort of insane that he was signed very late in the process and made you know, by NFL quarterback standards, pennies. He can actually make upwards of $14 million this year. And 
John, I think you believe it's the right move by the Patriots, and is it the right move for Cam Newton? Right. I think 100%. Look, because you signed Cam Newton doesn't mean that you're not making other steps at the quarterback position. And I think this was taken as, they think that they can make it with him? When in reality, it's like, well, look at where you're at with the New England Patriots. You're, you're, you're in the situation where you're going to go get a stopgap for a year as you develop something behind him. Is it Alex Smith? Right? Is it Cam Newton who was with your team for a year and got to work in the scheme and all that and still led you to a 7-9 and nine season? Right? Are you going to go elsewhere? Are you going to try to get Ryan Fitzpatrick? Why not just use the guy that was with you last year? Right? And I, I think it's lost upon some, his COVID diagnosis, all the opt-outs that the New England Patriots dealt with, the injuries on top of that. They're going to have a good amount of cap space. Like, it's not the worst situation in the world – and once free agency starts, if they sign some guys at the skill positions, draft a young quarterback and go in that direction. But I thought it was I thought it made sense both ways. Yeah, Lewis Riddick said uh, he's a Monday Night Football announcer and a GM candidate around the league. He said Cam signed late in the process, was coming off an injury, learning an entirely new system with an entirely new terminology, without any offseason work in the system, no legit perimeter weapons, got COVID, missed a lot of practice time. But most of you missed that. Interesting. It's true. And, and well, I, I think I think a lot of the I think a lot of the athletes who came down with COVID, we a, a lot of us were like, he's back, he's fine, let's move on. Yep. Like it wasn't an instant recovery for many folks. And I know, hey, uh, early in the season, I know you were all geeked up in basketball to bet who for the MVP, Jason Tatum. Oh right, yeah, yeah. What's it, happened to him? The, like, I think a week after I bet him, after I had you make that bet, he got COVID. He missed a, he missed like two or three weeks. He hasn't been the same since, and he has been vocal about the changes to his body since he has come down with COVID. I wonder what Boston radio guys think of Cam Newton coming back. I guess there's a few. I didn't watch this uh, video, but uh, Ari and John did. I want to hear this so we can react. But apparently, uh, these guys weren't super thrilled that Cam's back in the fold. Wow. A storied franchise coming off the greatest dynasty in the history of professional sports. And this is what you are reduced to? This is what, quote-unquote, leverage you have? You have no leverage. You've never had leverage since Brady left. You're in a position where you are desperate and you have no plan and your only shot is to bring up a washed-up has-been in hopes of signing free agents or luring them. A little vitriolic in there. Don't think they're happy. No. <laughs> they're not. They were operating on the premise that part of the reason why they brought Cam Newton back was because guys want to play with him. And so that's why he was brought back. Not so much his play. And uh, I hadn't heard that. Is, is that like a common theme? I, 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 I Listen, the story just developed today. So right. maybe that's been a big narrative in, in, Boston. in Boston. Right. This is courtesy of WEI, by the way. There's one more. Is this Felger and Maz? Is that, is, is that the show? Uh, I tried to look it up, these three loons. One's op- By the way, one of them is broadcasting from his backyard, which is which, so what? <laughs> I love doing that. Right. It's, I don't know. I don't know trees like that. In my backyard. Right. Well, he's, that's my thing. It looks really cold in New England. So give me cut two. But with these two moves, signing Cam Newton, not going to the Trey Lance Pro Day, he's proven to everyone here and throughout the NFL he didn't value the, the position of quarterback. We talked about that, but now he's proven it. He doesn't value the position of quarterback. He's going to do it his archaic way. And you're going to have to all sit there and take it. We all have to sit there and take it. So my favorite thing about this is at the beginning, citing what they call the greatest sports dynasty in the history, in history. And then in the back end, questioning Bill Belichick. 
How dare you? Like, look, I hate Bill Belichick as a sports fan. It's ridiculous the amount of success he's had. You had one year, you go seven and nine, and all of a sudden his process is archaic and he has no idea what he's doing. Come on. What are we doing? Also, by the way, this is simulcast. I'll just say that for some reason the producer thought, ah, you know what, while we're bashing Cam Newton, let's throw a close-up of his cleats with a message of social positivity on there. wonder why. Number two. Speaking of Brady, and that's probably the you know real aggravating part of this whole thing, the uh, patch of bringing back Cam Newton. Well, Brady's with the Bucks, and Brady's doing everything he can to retain as many players as possible. Uh, he's renegotiated his contract, agreed to technically it's a four-year extension. It's got some voidable years, but it looks like he'll be in the fold for next year and probably the year after, and now that's cleared for this year, $19 million in cap space for the Buccaneers. And we know the Bucks need some money to try to keep a lot of their guys around. Hell of a move, consistent with what Tom Brady does. And, you know, as I pointed out yesterday, uh, I don't know if Brady did it for football reasons. I don't think that's the only reason, right? Love Schmove, but uh, marrying someone who's worth $500 million and Giselle Bunchen allows you the opportunity to pass up on some money, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, that's ridiculous. Now, what, will, my, what, my premise? Yeah, yeah, well, just all of that. Just the fact, like, I wish I had that life. Yeah, you know he's, like, he's like, i got to marry up so that I can take a little less money and make sure I have the best football players on my team. I, I also, uh, I'm not going to lie, I uh, this is a big lesson in reading the article. Because I, I read the article, but the second I saw the headline, I was like, four more? Yeah. Like, are we done? Like, what are we doing? Can we retire? Just uh, stop. I mean, it's a, it is a brilliant, <laughs> it's a brilliant headline because we know I couldn't even put a percentage on it. What do you mean? 75% of the uh, reading public is right. headline and lead and they're out. Well, if you notice too, if you notice on Twitter, when you go to retweet stuff, if it's an article, it'll ask you, are you sure you don't want to read the article first? Yeah. You know, and so, like, obviously, I, I'll read a majority of the articles. Um, unless I know what's in it, then I'll retweet it. I always know what's in it, though. I don't need to read. Um, but I did fall for this. I, they got me on the clickbait on this one. I was like, there's no way. Four more years until he's 50? It's disgusting. Thank God he's not. They're, uh, you know, they franchise Chris Godwin. Mm-hmm. They're trying to bring back Barrett, who had, what do you have, uh, 19 and a half sacks in, uh, in 2019. Other guys that they're trying to clear money for are Gronkowski. Maybe bring back Indomitian Sue. You got to think about contracts with uh, dudes like Antonio Brown. What's going on with Len Fournette? Mm-hmm. So, a little extra money, a lot of extra money, $19 million. It's going to help. Yep. And like you said, look, this has been the smart. Uh, Tom Brady has been a brilliant quarterback throughout his entire career, but the underrated, brilliant part about what he does is the fact that he'll re- be willing to do this. And like you said, in his social life, his family life he's able to do it uh, but i'd also say do you think he's getting the under the table deal like he was getting with the crafts back with new england yeah we said that for years and years and years i still think that's in place i still think he's going to come back to the pats as like the minister of fun belichick won't be there it'll be johnny craft right so i'm sure and you know we'll see what happens with bob he seems to be uh very alive very fired up very active, so I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. I'm not wishing death upon the guy, but <laughs> do I think that the Bucks are skirting the salary cap with what, like lifetime tickets to Bush Gardens and then up the road at Disney World? Yeah, something like that. Maybe. I don't know. I wonder how I, I wonder how much of this goes on around the league. You know, guys giving up millions and millions of dollars to help the team if they're if, if they're paid off. You know, if they're paid somehow after their career. I don't Stocks, know. Stocks, whatever. Yeah. 
Man, we were in freakout mode at the start of the show. We were in freakout mode this morning. We were in freakout mode yesterday. But it looks like good news now with Marc-Andre Fleury. He was put on the COVID list yesterday. Uh, Ryan Reeves had talked about a positive test. Everyone's like, all right, Marc-Andre Fleury is positive. This could mean the guy's down for two and three weeks. Is he okay? Is he going to be like Jason Tatum? Is he going to be like Cam Newton? Is he going to be affected for six weeks? This could ruin the freaking season. Well, right around 2.15, it came down uh, from the Knights. False positive. False positive. So, uh, Flurry is off the COVID list, and we'll see what his playing status is moving forward. Uh, We'll get you updated on that. Also, Adam Hill is going to check in in about 10 minutes on Flurry, the Knights, the college basketball scene around town with the Pac-12 tournament and the Mountain West Conference tournament. We'll get his take on what UNLV is going to do here in this offseason. Uh, because they're going to need to improve the talent level. And they've also got to re-recruit some guys. They've got to make sure that Bryce Hamilton comes back. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Adam Hill's going to join us with the latest update on Marc-Andre Fleury and the COVID positive. That was not a positive. It was a false positive. Tracking the bubble situation, especially uh, with the Mountain West Conference and the tournament going down with the semis tonight, Reno, San Diego State, Colorado State, Utah State. Um, As of last night, last four into the field were Drake, Colorado State, Syracuse and then Utah State actually moved into the last four in. CSU and Utah State go against each other. First four out. Ole Miss, Mm -hmm. they're still alive in the SEC tournament. Uh, St. Louis actually – Ole Miss and St. Louis moved ahead of Boise State. St. Louis has been done for a a week, and they got destroyed in the A-10 semis. I'm not sure how they're moving up. And I know this is all based on numbers. Seton Hall, these are the first four out. Ole Miss, St. Louis, Boise – and Seton Hall, well, Seton Hall lost to Georgetown, so they should be – they're gone. They're done. I don't even know what Georgetown is in the in the net rankings, if you want to look that up. They were – you know, there are 500 teams. So, Seton, uh, Georgetown's actually still alive for a bid. Um, and then the next four after that, the only team with a real shot is Memphis if they made a run. So, I guess a decent shot at three from the Mountain West Conference, and I guess Boise can pray, but my guess is they'll probably be left out with those blind mm-hmm. resumes. Um, I did want to mention UNLV moving forward. So they've got to get the core of this team back. I have no idea what Bryce Hamilton's going to do. Mm-hmm. He'll have he'll have plenty of suitors calling him, I'm sure. And if they brought the entire team back, they've got a good core, but they've got to upgrade a talent. Altsberger said on the coaches show the other day, John, that uh, he's looking for more help at point guard. Good, because we don't know the future of Marvin Coleman. And even if Marvin is back, uh, you could use another impact guy on on that position. David Jenkins is not a point guard. And they need a four. Like, I think they've got good developmental fours. Moses Wood can be a good player, but he's not a starter. Not right now. Uh, and they need more help. The other one is we don't know if John's coming back. So they need help at the big positions. Uh, and bottom line is, in this conference, they they have to upgrade their talent. I think there's an attitude in Vegas with the Mountain West Conference. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe people are just dis- disinterested because UNLV hasn't been that good. I constantly hear people here say that the Mountain West is no good. It's good. <laughs> and it's one of those conferences that doesn't have a lot of pros. Well, that presents a problem. That means no one's leaving. Mm-hmm. And no one lost eligibility. 
That Utah State team that the Rebels lost to last night, Myers Cato will probably go to the NBA. The rest of those guys, not only are they coming back, but then they've got like old dudes. Like Justin Bean can come back for two more years. He's a double-double guy. They've got a freshman, Stephen Ashworth, who's the backup point guard. He's 20. That was his freshman year. He's got four more years. Riley Wooster destroyed the Rebels last night. He's a freshman next year. They're all back. Colorado State's got a loaded team. Reno's got a loaded team back. They've got two impact transfers sitting out from Texas and Oregon. Well, Every, everyone is coming back next year in this conference, unless there's some crazy transfers because of playing time. But the core players on every team, except San Diego State, I think Mitchell and Shackle will leave, but San Diego State just reloads. They've got some good freshmen. They've got those next experienced guys who will step up. It's a good conference. Right. Like, I, I think the writing was on the wall coming into this year, how deep the conference was going to be. But depth in terms of longevity, as you're talking about, yep. too. You know, Colorado State was a good young core. You saw them perform last year, and you knew that this was going to be a problem going forward. For they have four- and five-year program guys. Right. Now, Air, now, listen, the bottom of the conference is going to be a disaster. Air Force, New Mexico, and San Jose State, two of the three are probably going to have new coaches. They're, they're rebuilding. But the, the eight other teams – I was looking at all the rosters. UNLV might be seventh or eighth as they sit right now, and that's with Bryce Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And that's with, you know, they do have some, it looks like Arthur Kaluma, if he sticks with it, he was the guy who was coming along with Zion Collins. He's sticking to his commitment. Um, The other Gilbert, you know, they've got a Gilbert on a roster, the uh, older brother. The other Gilbert is a, you know, a top 150 recruit. He's a point guard recruit, so they've got an upgrade in talent there. But they absolutely – the Rebels have got to be on the transfer trail and land some players. Let, let me ask you because one of the things that has stuck out to me this year and then last year too, you know, when Otzelberger was going to come here, one of the things that he was going to do was open this offense up and all this stuff. We always hear the pace stuff and all that stuff. This is now two consecutive years in which they have finished 240th or lower in tempo. Like, does a point guard help that? Like, I, I've always wondered what the disconnect is there. And they haven't really been a great three-point shooting team either in the two years that he has been here. And by the way, according to the Ken Palm metrics, at least they slowed down even more in conference play. Like it wasn't even one where you saw them getting up and down the court. And that has been one thing that has stuck out to me. Tempo is not everything, but it was supposed to be what this team was supposed to be. And we haven't seen it now through two full seasons. Adam Hill's on the way. We'll get his take. He was at the TNM last night. So Adam checking in on Mark Andre Fleury and the future of the rebels. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Uh oh. <laughs> the, the dreaded TV change. That was it. That was it. Did you see that, though? Switched over to the Big 12. Couldn't take the uh, Big Ten quarterfinal anymore. You were that kid? They just showed the crowd. It was a father and a son sitting there. I could assume they looked uh, very much alike. Yeah. Uh, the kid was all decked out in Baylor gear, and uh, his Bears are down 83-74, to 9.4 left to go, and he's clearly crying. Do you not tell the kid if you're the dad, like, hey, relax. It's the Big 12 tournament. They're going to be in the NCAA tournament. doesn't matter. How old was the kid? He looked like he was at the oldest 10. So you would you would start lecturing your child on the realities of college basketball and what really matters. Yes. Okay. Adam Hill is is with us. Adam, we don't have kids. Would you uh, you know in this dream scenario, would you start lecturing the kid on what what really means something in college basketball? 
No, I'd be too busy yelling at him for being an idiot for caring about the conference tournament when we're when we're a one seed. Wow, there you go. See, there you, go. Yeah, so you would. Oh, yeah, so you the answer is my question was terrible, but you would. Adam would be the uh, the picture of him. Is it the J.P. Lossman jersey where you look like you're clearly explaining something to the woman at the Sam Boyd Stadium? Uh, yes, who was the husband or the wife of one of the players? Yeah. Right. He was yeah. also explaining it to Denzel Washington, who didn't realize it was being explained to him because he's actually in the screenshot that we grabbed. Uh, yeah. It, well, the, the whole point of that, if you uh, if you look at the screenshot, uh, if anybody's ever seen it, and I'm sure we can uh, post it on social media, I'll try to do that. But uh, Denzel Washington's kid is also playing. But what they did was they they talked about me in the crowd wearing the J.P. Lossman jersey while Denzel was in the frame. That was, yeah. like, why the picture is so funny. And then funny. mentioned Denzel. Yeah. They're like, hey, look at this guy. Where did J.P. Lawson jersey? This is funny. Uh, oh, yeah, Denzel Washington's right next to him. That's funny, too. <laughs> That's funny. All right, Adam, uh, give us your impressions of uh, last night, briefly, the Utah State win over UNLV, and uh, now what happens here the next couple of weeks with the Rebel program? Well, I mean, I think the offseason is very intriguing, obviously, coming off of, uh, of what we saw yesterday and what we saw all season long. Um you know, I, I thought the first half was was a disaster for UNLV, and you know that that's something that people are probably looking at like, wait, they were tied. What are you talking about? That was great. UNLV came out and and played like crazy defensively. They were all over the place. That is not a sustainable pace uh, to play in a game. And when you go all out like that, uh, it's it's comparable to like a boxer who comes out in the first round. He's like, I need a first round knockout and throws like 150 more punches than the opponent in the first round, and you're like, well, you got that round. Okay, well, what does that matter? Because now you have nothing for the rest of the fight. Like, that's kind of what we saw with UNLV. They went so all out in that first half and came out of it tied. And the fact that they held Utah State scoreless for six minutes and two seconds, uh, the fact that they had a six-point lead uh, fairly late in the first half, was all wiped away by that 6-0 run uh, right at the end of that first half. So I thought that that was the missed opportunity that they had, and I thought at halftime it was pretty obvious that game was over, uh, and then we saw that in the second half. There was just nothing left. And uh, to JBT's point about uh, pace earlier that I was just listening to, it's a really good one, but I think like what you're waiting for is depth. right? Yeah. I mean, like you can run and you can try to, to push the pace, and if you're at the game – you hear T.J. Altenberger yelling, pace, 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 run, run, run. But, like, you've only got, like, six guys that can play. So, like, at that point, you, you can't do that for an entire game, and I think that's why the pace has been slower. So uh, Utah State just did what they did. They were clinical. Uh, they were so good in the second half. They did everything they wanted. They made nine of their first ten shots, uh, and UNLV was just done at that point. Uh, but now, as you said, like, what it sets up is this offseason where there's so many question marks starting with T.J. Otzelberger and the fact that he could be in the mix at Iowa State potentially and however that could work out. Um, I, you know, I know people scoff at that, but they're, you know, they're kind of ignoring the bigger picture of college basketball when they do that and you know, why he might be desired uh, at Iowa State. So that's the first question, whether or not T.J. Otzelberger is still here. And then you start moving down the list. Um, I don't want to read too much into Bryce Hamilton last night after the game, but if you made me bet, Based on his reaction after the game, he's gone. Uh, whether that's you know trying to play professionally somewhere, whether that's transferring, um, he was when he when he was asked about what he intends to do next year, he said, you know, he kind of paused and then said, you know what, I haven't even thought about that. Um, I've been trying to focus on the season. That's all I cared about, and now I guess I better start thinking about it. Well, the body language and the reaction really told me like he probably has thought about it. And why wouldn't you think about it? It's your future. Um, they have a recruiting job to do on Bryce Hamilton. I don't think he's out the door. I don't think he's gone. 
but I think they do have a recruiting job to do, and that's that's probably job number one in this offseason. Uh, and then you, you know, we've talked about all the transfer market, the transfer portal that's going to be available. I would predict this is going to be a record year for guys in the transfer transfer portal, and you're going to have to go out and find some guys that can play right away if you want to compete next year. You got a good recruiting class that was going to be a great recruiting class, uh, and now it is not anymore. So you've got some good players coming in, but you really need to get talent right now uh, if you want to compete. I mean, look at look at what Michigan did in the grad transfer portal. You watch that game today uh, with Michigan and what what Mike Smith did at, at point guard and just destroyed uh, destroyed them. And he was so good. That's a guy you just find an Ivy League guy. You get him, you bring him in, and uh, he was incredible for uh, for Michigan today. But that's the kind of guys you can find out there and really impact your program right away. Adam, Adam, if you were in charge of a program, would you hire T.J. Otzelberger? Um, yes. And, and there's there's a lot of reasons why, at this point, I think I would. Um, you know, there, there could potentially be, you know, he, we saw what he could do as a recruiter. Now, again, it didn't work out. But if that's the kind of level he's going to recruit, like, that quickly at a school, I think you can figure it out. And look what... Like, look what Michigan did. Again, I'm going back to Michigan, but that's, you know, a program I follow very closely. Of like, okay, Jawan Howard might not be completely ready to be a head coach. Oh, we'll go get a great head coach to be his top assistant, and he can be the face of the program, and he can run a lot of things. And then I have this guy that's also a great coach. So if T.J. Otzenberger's not ready from an X's and O's standpoint, like, he seems to be ready as a recruiter and kind of a face. So maybe that's the kind of situation. Maybe you go get a very experienced assistant coach with him but yeah i think he has proven as a recruiter uh that he can go at a very very high level and that's what i would be looking at first if i was hiring college basketball coach adam hill part of the company las vegas review journal of course covers the raiders and the golden knights mark andre flurry last day or so this is crazy so what's the latest i mean he's playing he's on the ice right now so <laughs> he's there uh yeah as uh, as has been kind of talked about today a false positive and it seems like the Knights knew that before anybody else did. And, again, I don't know why they don't just say these things, but, um, you know, when Pete DeBoer was talking about it earlier when we thought Marc-Andre Fleury was on the COVID list and we, by the way, thought he had a positive test because of Ryan Reeves' comments, uh, all of a sudden Pete DeBoer was like, well, you never know. It could be a false positive. We'll have to wait and find out. Well, like, you knew it at that point. Like, why are we playing these games all the time? It's very annoying, but uh, clearly – uh, Mark Andre Fleury is on the ice. He is available to play. He is he's good to go forward. Doesn't seem to have you know affected the team very much. Just the fact that he had a couple of hours uh, in his room isolating, and now they can move forward with Mark Andre Fleury as the goalie. Also, we'll see what uh, they maybe do tomorrow uh, in terms of a back to back, and if they want to play him in that situation. But uh, he is available and playing, and so uh, I guess a sigh of relief from the Golden Knights and their fans. I was going to say a sigh of relief and maybe a boost of energy with the way they started the game. Yeah, I mean... 2 nothing lead uh, right now, 49 seconds left in the first period. Yeah, big start for the, for the Knights, as you said. And uh, this is this is a team that, you know, relies heavily on Marc-Andre Fleury and the way he's playing right now, but um, they've not been able to score a whole lot. Maybe a little bit of a, a boost coming out of there, knowing they thought they might be without him for a couple of weeks, and now they've got him. Do we have any information on Robin Leonard? I mean, he's doing his conditioning practicing. Right. Uh, he's with, he's on the ice with the uh, the Henderson Silver Knights, so it seems like it's not too far off from when he could be back in the mix, which I know is good news for the Knights who have uh, uh, really kind of put the stress uh, on Marc-Andre Fleury and playing him a lot of games here early on in the season. Raiders news. So 
we've had some visitors this week to uh, Las Vegas. Uh, early in the week, A.J. Bouye. Uh, you know, we heard Melvin Ingram was in town. Uh, ha-ha, Clinton Dix. Also, maybe a target of the Raiders? Yeah, I mean, listen, th- this is a team that needs a, I think, a veteran safety. I mean, they could tap into the um, into the draft as well, but you know, I, I think they need a, a safety, a deep safety, who's going to be ready to go right away. Uh, that's what Gus Bradley's uh, defense calls for. Uh, we know Jonathan Abram is going to be the safety more in the box, and that's how they're going to play him. They need somebody to play that deep safety role, and I think it's it's probably more likely to be somebody that's been around the, the league for a while uh, if you know that is indeed where they're going in free agency. So uh, not surprised you're seeing some of these safeties because I thought uh, that they were going to have their eyes on you know guys like Marcus Williams, Marcus May, and, and guys like that that they could bring in. Uh, once those guys got franchise tags, okay, now you got to move on to that next level. So uh, Ha Clint Dix has been around. Uh, he's you know he's a veteran. He uh, you know he's got experience. That's something that could be helpful to this Raiders defense. So we'll see where they go. But it, it's clear right now that you're seeing the names that are coming in are on the defensive side of the ball, which uh, would probably uh, make people very happy uh, that follow the Raiders and know that they're going to try to invest in the defense. Although. We know the offensive line is going to need some work as well now. Yeah, around the league, there's a bunch of restructures, uh, like the extension with Tom Brady going out to four years, two voidable, uh, $19 million saved for this year. Patrick Mahomes working on restructuring for the Chiefs. Raiders had some smaller moves, but they're still important. Uh, apparently, you got some restructuring with uh, Kwiatkowski and Littleton. Yeah, and again, this is you know, this is a year where these things are going to have to happen, and uh, especially with, with Littleton's contracts, which I know – uh, he talked about not, you know, feeling like he didn't live up to. So uh, that probably uh, was a was a impetus for him to be willing to to step up and do something like that. But guys are going to do that all around the league. I mean, there, there's opportunities uh, for teams to just move on from guys. So uh, I think guys are more willing to just say, okay, let's restructure, let's figure it out, let's move forward, uh, let's get some other guys in here, maybe take my pay down the road, and uh, maybe at that point you have a couple better seasons and uh, you can get even more money then. But um, you're seeing guys willing to do. It. I mean, Tom Brady. Has always done that. I think uh, we're, we're probably of the opinion that he's taken his money under the table in order to take some of these smaller deals over the years. I don't know what they're doing in Tampa, uh, but yeah, I, I think you know guys are going to be willing to do this. This is a year everybody understands the reality of the situation that teams can't afford uh, to pay some of these big contracts, uh, and you're going to have to you know have some wiggle room for other guys to come in. I mean, you, you, even players don't want to necessarily be on bad teams or teams that don't have any flexibility. So as much as it kind of sucks for them. You know, you are doing something for the team, and you hope to get rewarded down the road. Adam, 90 seconds left. Maybe not an easy question to answer as we uh, we finish where we started with uh, NCAA basketball talk. What should the selection committee do in terms of seeds with Virginia and Kansas? I mean, they put them where they're supposed to put them, right? I mean, Kansas should be a three. Uh, Virginia should be up around in that same range, and you put them there. And then if you have to remove them, there's procedures in place to do that, whether it's removing them before the tournament starts with a replacement team or uh, moving on and, and just uh, having somebody get a bye if it's later in the tournament. But uh, I think you have to put them where they earn their spot. I mean, this is a weird year. It's a crazy year. We understand that. But, I mean, the reason they put those uh, procedures in place was because this was possible. And they said, hey, the teams are going to be where they are in the bracket. And then if they have to pull out, they have to pull out and they have to be replaced. But um, I think if you earn a three, you should get a three. Now, with injuries, that's different. Like Villanova. I think we've talked about in the past, like, you should be dropped down if you're not as good with a, without a player. And we've seen Villanova is not good without Gillespie. Maybe they should be moved further down. But for a COVID team, I think you just got to 
Adam, what's your prediction on the games tonight? Who makes the uh, Mountain West Conference? You are covering the Mountain West, or are you covering the Pac-12? I'm at Mountain West, and uh, my pre-tournament prediction was Colorado State, so I'm going to have to stick with that. And uh, I think San Diego State on the other side, and Colorado State wins tomorrow. Wow, okay. All right, Adam, have fun tonight. Sounds good. You guys too. There he is, uh, Adam Hill, John Von Tobel's here. It's Cofield, Batterborn Broadcast Center. 570-9000 is the number to call. Justin Watkins, Matt Hoffman will close out in the grab bag. I think it's a chance to place another bet on the show. The Cofield and Company crew is back tonight at 1030. It's the DC and the Sunshine Man podcast with Dave Koken. Watch at Steve Cofield on Twitter or on YouTube. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. We are live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center. I think I got enough bees in there. Steve Cofield is going to be along momentarily. I wanted to get a nugget in because I guess I have control at this point right now and I can do whatever I want. But I should note that uh, something interesting to keep track of tonight as you are uh, taking in all the college hoops action throughout the evening, especially into the well into the night with the Mountain West Conference Tournament tipping off late night game at about 9 p.m. Uh, but we do have a relatively historic spot here. In the NBA tonight, how about this? The NBA has a 19-point favorite tonight. The Utah Jazz laying 19 tonight against the Houston Rockets. Totals 229. Uh, but the Rockets, for those who don't know, are at the bottom of the barrel. Uh, they're the worst team, I think, right now at this point in the NBA. They have lost 14 straight. They're 1-13 against the spread. Uh, it has not even been close either. But the Utah Jazz a 19-point favorite tonight. And actually, uh, there was a little nugget of history here. Uh, tonight's Rocket Jazz tilt, the 14th time in NBA history that a team on a losing streak of 14 or more games faces the team with the NBA's best record. The only time the team on the slide won was in 1968 when the San Diego Rockets, who had lost 17, beat the 76ers 111-106. So, some history tonight is, again, the Jazz, a 19-point favorite in the NBA over the Houston Rockets. Stick your hand in there, Dave. So Golden Knights are up 2-0, end of the first. Flurry, false positive, he's in there. So he started the game. That's what happens, right? I got to find out what you're doing this weekend. I know you're watching the uh, the brackets released, right? Yes, yes. I'm sure you're going to watch some championship games tomorrow. And tonight. Very excited. Uh, what do you do for snacks for all this sports TV viewing? Oh, are you setting like me up? Health, for, uh, like healthy snacks? Are we looking at uh, chips yes. and dips? What are we going with? Here? So, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be relatively healthy. So I, I have started. I am making an attempt here, a legitimate attempt. This is day five, Steve. My legs, I don't know if you noticed, but earlier I actually got up and was walking around because my legs feel like rocks. Five consecutive days. Been hitting the gym, Steve. We're trying to cut down. Okay. Von Tobel household working out together. We're doing it. Do you think I can, though, is the question. I have no idea Keep what the goal is. I don't know what the goal is. We'll go 35 pounds. All right, we'll have to we'll have to come up with the terms on, off the air. You 35 pounds. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know. In a year? Yeah, I guess. I will I will is remind it, you. Is it a month? Then no. I will remind well no, yeah. A day. Um, <laughs> I will remind you that there was a actual Steve Cofield, John Von Tobel, Cofield the Company weight loss challenge. I actually dedicated to it, lost 20 pounds. But then nobody else did it and I Steve kept bringing yeah. in fried foods and I was like, "All right, well, I think I, I didn't won." I didn't try. <laughs> All right, well, maybe this time we'll actually make a bet, but we'll All have right. to set the terms off the air, and we'll get you updated on Monday. We're back tonight. 
DC and the Sunshine Man podcast that goes at 1030. Thanks to Battleborn Injury Lawyers and Justin Watkins. 5709000 is the number here. And very fired up to be doing shows in the future at the Battleborn Broadcast Center.